0: Verse 1. Remember the context here is this great high priest. The Jewish people would relate, we're in the book of Hebrews, which is written to Jewish believers. And so it continues with this same theme. For every high priest taken from among men, please circle that. Every high priest was taken from among men, beginning with Aaron. They were men, they were flawed. They were failed, they were not perfect, they were sinners, also in need of a Savior. is appointed for men. In other words, the high priest had a role. It was for men. God appointed that role, but they were supposed to be called by God to that specific role for mankind, for men, in things pertaining to God. That he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. And we're going to unpack this this morning because it's very important to recognize what ministry is and what ministry is not. What Jesus came to do and what he did not come to do could also be in view. Jesus was not a political activist. Matter of fact, he said zero, literally nothing. About politics. He didn't get engaged in it. He didn't care about it. Why? Because his kingdom is not of this earth. His kingdom is his father's kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom. He came to preach the kingdom. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant. And going astray. This is talking of the. High priest who was a man, since he himself was also subject to weakness. Every pastor, every preacher, every parson, every person, everyone who engages in the work of the ministry, all missionaries, are subject to the same weaknesses, the same flaws, the same inabilities. And were it not for the grace of the Lord. None of us would ever be equipped for that work. But by his grace and through his work, sometimes human beings can actually be used for God's purposes. But the high priest certainly knew that he had his own weaknesses. Can you imagine waking up in the morning realizing you have to go face the holy God on Yom Kippur and you and your wife have a fight about what you're going to wear? He says, Honey, that looks terrible on you. It's like you need to pick a new tunic. It's like it's got a spot on it. It's like Look, I got to go, and I'm trying to make this personal for you, so you realize that the high priest, as wonderful as his role was, as hard as he endeavored to be holy, the high priest was still a sinner. Because of this, he's required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man or takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God as Aaron was. And so you could modernize this and float the role of pastor in that same place, but it applied to a very specific person the high priest, during that day, as far as the Jewish people were concerned. And so here is a man that was supposed to be the representative of the people before the Lord. Notice that it wasn't because he went to school, though he did go to school, rabbinical school. It wasn't because he was the brightest in the room. Prayerfully, he could link some sentences together. That would be helpful. But the chief thing that was necessary for one to be in the high priest's role was that he or that person, anyone, would be called by God. There's no substitute for it. If you're not called, no amount of training is going to make up for a lack of calling. And if you are called, you won't be able to do anything else. So also, notice now how this links together. Christ. So here comes our Savior. Whatever applied to the high priest in a greatly more infinite way, we can see it in the Savior. And so also Christ did not glorify himself. He actually said that. He said, I came not to glorify myself, but to glorify him who sent me. Amen? So if Jesus, the King of kings, Lord of lords, the great I am, the Savior of the world, didn't come to glorify himself, then why would any man, no matter what their role is, seek to glorify themselves? That's truth right there, church. The ministry is not about men, it's about God. It's about us glorifying him together. Hopefully I won't mess up God's character in the way that I present his word to you prayerfully I'll be able to instruct you in some finer points of theology, but at the end of the day, you and I, we are sinners who desperately need a savior. All of us. Our spiritual pants go on the same way every morning. Or skirt if that's what you're wearing. He didn't glorify himself to become high priest but it was he who said of him, Father to Son. Today you are my Son. I have begotten you. And this is quoting from Psalm 110, verse 4, known by the Hebrew people as Messianic. Why? A very famous verse that almost every person in this room that's walked with the Lord for any period of time knows, which is Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us, A child is born, and unto us, say it, a son is given. Amen? He is both the child born to Mary and Joseph, and he's also the son given, God's own son, God's only son, the Savior of the world was given by God to us. So he is both man and God. Very important because they would have known that this was speaking of Messiah. They would have referenced in their heart and their mind many, many other messianic passages. Today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you were the priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, again from the Psalms. These are messianic who in the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience. Now, if this is speaking of Messiah, how could that possibly be? Because Messiah is God. But Jesus became man. He became Flesh and dwelt among us. This is not for knowledge. This isn't for wisdom. This isn't for thinking purposes. This is for his ability to empathize and sympathize and to know and to bear with you as a human being. Jesus was always God. He was always morally sinless. He didn't have any issues he needed to square away. But when he became one of us, in his understanding, why do you suppose he said, Father, if there be any way, take this cup from me. Why? Because he was experiencing something that he had never experienced. He became one of us. He felt your pain. He endured what you endure when people mock you and despise you and curse you and hate on you and say all manner of evil things against you, Jesus endured those things. Prior to him becoming a man, he dwelled in heaven. There was no such thing in heaven because there's no sin in heaven. In other words, he he began to experience the temptations you face, hearing the sinful things that are said about you. Jesus began to hear those things. And so in that sense, he is learning what it's like to be you, not in knowledge, in sympathy and empathy. He's agonizing. That's why in the garden he agonized great drops of blood. The pressure of all of this, the thinking on it, The understanding it from a human perspective crushed the very life out of Jesus and was heard because of godly fear. Though he was the Son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. There it is. It's very clear what he learned, having been perfected in what? In the suffering, in his humanity in bearing the weight of the sins of the world on his body on the cross, things that he had never previously experienced. Jesus, because he was the child that was born and the son that was given, experienced things on a whole new level. Though he could certainly understand them intellectually, he wasn't taught them in a mental sense. He experienced them for you. He walked through the valley of the shadow of death and he feared no evil because he knew his God was with him as a rod and a staff. That was a new experience. Amen? So when it says that he is our high priest who can sympathize, he can in every single facet of your humanity. Everything about you. He became the author of salvation to all who obey him. Why? Because there was previously no author of human salvation who was both God and man. So he became a man and became salvation for us. It was not an afterthought. It was always the plan. It was always known. God the Father and God the Son never had another plan. They didn't wake up one day and go, oh my goodness, Adam sinned. They had foreknowledge, but Jesus had never come to earth. And the moment he did, he began to feel your pain, my pain. Understand what you would go through. And therefore, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, this strange figure from the book of Genesis that meets with Abraham. This whole focus is chapter 7, and so we're going to only lightly touch on this mysterious Melchizedek. We'll get to him later uh, in our study through this amazing book. The high priest had two primary jobs. So think about the human high priest now. He represented God before the people. He taught them the word. He essentially led the church. That's pretty simple. But he also went before God to represent the people to receive atonement for sin. In that sense, he oversaw everything that happened in church. He was responsible for absolutely everything that happened in the temple. He oversaw the rest of the priests. He oversaw the sacrifices. He took care of church. And so in many ways, the first pastor was King Jesus. The first one who was the shepherd of the flock, King Jesus. That's why when I tell people there's only one good shepherd, that's Jesus. I'm an under-shepherd. I'm like, I I serve underneath the true shepherd. I'm just one of those, I, I have a little part of his flock. Kind of like he gave me a handful of sheep. He says, you take care of them. I'm going to watch over the whole flock, Jeff. You're responsible for this part of the flock. That was also the high priest's role. The high priest had to watch over the whole flock. All of them. So what were they called to do? He was basically the immediate supervisor of all the other priests. And so these priests had all kinds of functions. And if you read through the book of Leviticus... One of the only reasons to read through the book of Leviticus, and when I say that, some people know exactly what I'm saying. It's like it's, it's like okay, well, he's the high priest of this, and then there's the sacrifice for that, and there's the two turtle doves and a couple of sticks. And after a while, you're kind of like, what am I reading this for? Well, the Lord gave them a very, very, very intensely personal and extremely precise manner in which they would worship God. Why? Because God is holy. And he wanted the manner in which he was worshipped to represent his holiness. And so he gave them tremendous detail. And so the high priest would diagnose disease, and they would purify people who would sinned and, and they would examine their property if it was going to be dedicated to the Lord. They had this incredible function of basically discerning between right and wrong, and between good and evil, and between what was holy and what was unholy. And so you can kind of see how this is playing right into the Jewish mindset of thinking, okay, he's going to be a high priest forever, like this guy Melchizedek. And they're all going, it's like, I don't know that much about him. There's only two verses in the entire Bible that really speak clearly in the Old Testament of him. And and so sometimes the priests also served as judges, and they, they served in guidance to the people, and they did all these, just a plethora of different things. But the chief thing that they did was to oversee the atonement that happened one day a year on Yom Kippur, which I've previously mentioned. They would watch over the burnt offering. So if someone wanted to demonstrate their commitment to the Lord, you ultimately answered to the high priest. They oversaw the grain offering. If you wanted to give gifts for your sin, if you wanted to say, Lord, I'm sorry, and here's how I want you to know it, the high priest oversaw that. If you wanted to give the voluntary offering, which was the fellowship offering, demonstrating your thankfulness, the high priest oversaw that. You you starting to get the picture? This is speaking, obviously, of who Jesus is to us as believers in New Testament times. The high priest also oversaw the sin offering. So the mandatory offering that that was given for your intentional sins. You see, because there's intentional sins and there's unintentional sins. In other words, things you got caught up in that you didn't set out. It's like, man, I'm just going to go out and sin today. And there's some stuff that you actually thought about and you did it intentionally. And so you had the sin offering and you had the guilt offering. High priest oversaw those things. In other words, the high priest was the go-between. He was the mediator between man and God. That was his whole function. If you wanted to boil the high priest role down and use one word, mediator is the word. The high priest was the mediator between God and man. And so to a Jewish person, when you spoke of the high priest, you were talking about a very, very, very specific role that was held by exactly one person at a time, and it began with Aaron. Why is this important to us today? Well, let's look at some of the things the high priest actually is in this passage. Jesus, just like the high priest, was called to our weaknesses. So he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself was also subject to weakness. How was Jesus subject to weakness? We've already learned that he was tempted and tested in all ways as we are, and yet without sin, Amen. So in his humanity, Jesus faced, it, faced the same test that you did, and have, and will. And so as high priest, the high priest would have to go, well, I know what that's like, because I also faced that same temptation. High priest is walking down the road, he's looking over there, and somebody's cooking some bacon. He's like, oh man, that smells good. But I'm Jewish. I can't have anything with clove and hoof. But that smells really good. Could could I have like a bacon, lettuce, mutton, and tomato sandwich? You know, it's like, but don't tell anybody the bacon's in there. And why am I saying this? Because the high priest had to suffer those temptations. You don't think Jesus might have been tempted to get a little bit tweaked and upset when he found out John the Baptist's head was cut off by a heathen? You don't think maybe he was a little bit tweaked when his friends abandoned him in the garden? You don't think that maybe Jesus had some thoughts of hurt and pain and anguish? And It's like, man, I'm getting new disciples. Now, he didn't, and he didn't entertain it that far. But for in a human sense, that abandonment hurt. He was distraught. Could you you remember what Jesus said? Could you not even pray with me for a while? Where did that come from? His humanness. While he's getting ready to die for them, they're they're catching flies. They're snoring away. And then once they wake up, we're out of here. our weaknesses, church, yours and mine. Every time the high priest went in on Yom Kippur, nobody's sins were actually forgiven. They were just dealt with for a time. They still hung as we discovered last time. And so God himself appointed the high priest. There were some men that we find in scripture that actually tried to appoint themselves. You know some of them. Korah was one of them. Remember the story in number 16, didn't go so well. How about Saul? Saul tried to also be the high priest, didn't go so well. How did his kids turn out? Not good. How about Uzziah? He was a good king, terrible high priest. Matter of fact, if you go back to the very first high priest, that was Moses' brother Aaron. Amen? Remember what's said about him in Exodus? Exodus chapter 32, here the children of Israel wandered through the wilderness. They've gone through all that stuff. Moses is on the mountain receiving what we call the Ten Commandments, the original commands. The ten things that God wanted us to know first about him and then about how to interact with other people. Five of each. It was Aaron that led the people in worshiping the golden calf that was made out of everybody's jewelry. So in that sense, Aaron wasn't exactly stellar himself. But he was appointed by God. And were it not for the work of the Holy Spirit which you can see, and again, as you read through Leviticus, you'll see all these things specifically in chapter 8 and 9 for what the high priest would do and how he'd be anointed and appointed and all these things they were first washed with. Water, hmm, kind of sounds like what the Holy Spirit does, amen? And the Word, kind of sounds like what the Holy Spirit does. Clothed with special garments, what are believers clothed with? The righteousness of Christ. That's kind of a special garment, isn't it? Any of you have that garment in your closet? You probably don't, but you're going to wear one because you got one on you right now. It's clothed on you by Jesus. Amen? Amen? Because the righteousness you have is not yours, it's his. So you're borrowing Jesus' garment while you're here. So the high priest kind of had all these things happening to him so that the people could look at it and go, wow, that's weird. I don't have one of those. I don't even know where to get one of As a matter of fact, there's only one guy in the whole face of the earth that actually has that one coat. The one breastplate. They would then be anointed with oil. Another sign that they needed to be covered by the work of the Spirit. And so every bit of this as they placed their hands on the bull and they prayed over these offerings. You know, one of the things that people often forget, and I just want to draw your attention to it without getting too gross here, the high priest had the bloodiest job you could ever imagine. For all intents and purposes, the high priest worked in a slaughterhouse. Every day when the high priest went to work, he was overseeing the death of countless innocent lambs, bulls, goats, up to his elbows in blood. And in fact, when he went into the holy place, the holy of holies, he sprinkled blood on the mercy seat. He didn't go in there with a little water and go, it's like, be blood. No, it was blood blood. Actual blood. Jesus died on Calvary's cross and he shed his blood. Amen. It was blood blood. They didn't kind of go well. You know, we're going we're going to kind of we're going to talk mean to you. No, Jesus was beaten nearly to death. And then he was nailed to the cross. So you can see how this is all pointing towards what Jesus was, had done for them. It was the same role that the high priest had. Sometimes we forget that it cost Jesus his blood to make atonement for our sin, to pay the price for it, to cleanse us, to purchase righteousness for an unrighteous people. Now think about who is being called here. It's God's son that's being called. So Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, today you are my son. God's son was called to be high priest forever. You see, here's the crazy thing about the high priest. Some of the high priests didn't even last a year. Sometimes they would quit. Sometimes they'd be disqualified. Sometimes they'd die. So there was this constant string of high priests. And in fact, when Jesus was crucified, you actually had two. Because you retained the office, even if you weren't currently the high priest. That's why you have both Annas and Caiaphas being called the high priest. Because once you're the high priest, you're always the high priest. But there's a high priest that serves, and there were high priests that were still alive. But those guys were sinners. They couldn't save anybody. They did the best they could to represent the people before God, but at the end of the day, they fell woefully short. Jesus did not fall short in any way, shape, or form. Why? Because he was God's own son, from heaven that was called. He was very different than all the sons of Adam that had been high priests before. Each one of them in succession failed and died. And without this all-sufficient sacrifice of the Savior, not one of them was actually eternally saved. Now, I'm not saying there weren't some that were. There could have been. They could have had the faith of Abraham. Abraham. They could have believed and waited just as Abraham did. I want to be very careful. Some of them may have been very, very godly and waited in faith. But they could have also been stone heathens, not called. Just looking at the perks of the job, going, hey, I want to be high priest. Why? They got a cut of everything that happened in the temple. They got the best meats, they got the best bread. They got to actually take a part of the offering. And so what happened during the later biblical times is the high priest actually didn't live in Jerusalem. Very often they lived down in the Jordan Valley in Jericho, which was an oasis. It was kind of gnarly living in Jerusalem, but let's go down and live in Jericho where it's a little bit nicer. The winters are better. It doesn't snow down there. Occasionally it snows in Jerusalem. Rarely rains. God called his own son to be sacrificed for us. Aaron's descendants, not so much. And the crazy thing is, when you really look at what's being said here, because he will be a high priest forever, whoever this priest is that's called by God, the final one, the last one, the one that's in view here, that one is going to be the high priest forever. Not for a year, not for two, not for a decade, not for a lifetime. Forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. It's obviously pointing them towards Jesus. And so this crazy character called Melchizedek is mentioned here. And again, chapter 7 highlights his life, so we'll save it for there. But let's just suffice to say that Melchizedek was this strange guy who was both the high priest or the priest and Melchizedek the king. That couldn't happen to a Jewish person. Why? Because the kingly line was the line of Judah. The priestly line was the line of Levi. And so you couldn't be from both lines because it was always dependent on who your father was. And so in this case, Jesus obviously is the line of the tribe of Judah. That's the kingly line. He has right to be king why the Bible plainly declares one day he will set his feet down on the Mount of Olives, it will split in two, and he will take his throne in Jerusalem. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. But he's also worthy of our worship. Why? Because he was called of the priesthood of Melchizedek, which predates Judaism. It goes on the other side of being Of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was before that even happened. And so, more on that when we get to chapter 7. What did Jesus do? Well, Jesus submitted to his Father's calling in the days of his flesh when he offered up prayers and supplications, vehement cries. When did Jesus do that? In the garden. Where did he supplicate? Right outside the garden. What was that supplication as Jesus prayed in John 17? Father, I would that they would be one as you and I, as we are, Father, one. Jesus supplicated for the bride of Christ that it wouldn't be divided. That we would be one just like God the Father and God the Son are one, that we would have his thoughts and his mind and be doing his will for his purposes. You know, God the Father heard that prayer. It didn't change the plan of salvation. Only God could do that, but God didn't change the plan. Did he hear Jesus? You better believe he did. You know how we know that? It is finished it's done God heard the prayer of his son and when Jesus said father forgive them for they know not what they do God the father heard that prayer and because of his sacrifice on Calvary's cross we who believe in the only begotten son are the redeemed of the lamb amen So this whole picture is an Old Testament way of understanding what Jesus did at the cross. What he did in the garden as Jesus cried out in his humanity, as he identified with the things you have been through and I have been through, the things that are said and done to us in this world, Jesus responded. He said, Father, if it's your will, take this cup. But nevertheless, what did Jesus say? not my will, not my human desire be done, but, Father, yours be done. Jesus' human desire was that his flesh was agonizing, his heart was broken, his mind was oppressed, he was beat on, it hurt. When Jesus was being flogged, his pain was not eliminated by some mysterious amount of anesthetic that came from heaven. Jesus was in agony. Why? Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabakhtane. My God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? Me. Me. Because of my sin. My inability to save myself. God called his own son into the world that the world through him would be saved. Because I couldn't save me. And you couldn't save you. Church, when you think on this passage, God called his own son to do for you what you could not do for yourself. No high priest could ever do for anyone, including himself. But Jesus did what couldn't be done by anyone else because he was both God and man. In his flesh, persecuted, beaten, broken, agonizing, but as God, absolutely sinless and perfect. Every motivation, every thought was absolutely perfect. He never sinned. Every high priest had to worry about their own sin, not Jesus. So he could say, Father, forgive them. Put that on me. I'll bear that sin. You give them my grace. In that, Jesus learned in his calling as he suffered these experiences. And think about what we've said. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And again, don't think of it as knowledge. That will send you the wrong direction. Think of it as humanity. What it's like to be human. What it's like to have a mind that isn't just simply the eternal being. But a mind that knows what it's like to have friends abandon you. Family forsake you. Remember, Jesus' own family didn't believe he was Messiah. They're running around trying to find psychiatrists to deal with Jesus because he's got Messiah complex. Right? They actually talk that way. It's like, oh, you know, he's, he's... People thought he had a demon. But all the while, God's son experiencing what it's like to be you, to be me. Jesus didn't need to learn information. It's not... Identification with a measurable data set. You know, people often misunderstand this passage. Oh, Jesus knew what he was going to go through, and he went anyway. He knew how painful the cross was going to be, and he went anyway. But what he hadn't experienced, what he learned in that sense, was the actual pain. He knew it was going to be painful. And he went anyway. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus had full, cognizant understanding and knowledge of everything he ever faced. And he went anyway. He's known every sin that you'll ever commit. And he went anyway. He knows what's in the blackness of your heart. The darkness that is in us. The places where the light rarely shines. Jesus knows all that, and he went anyway. Anyway. You wouldn't even do that for you. If you could pull yourself out and say, I don't think I would have died for me. But Jesus did, and he went anyway. Anyway. Hallelujah. Church, I think sometimes we so diminish what Jesus went through on the cross, we isolate it to his physical sufferings. I think if we're honest, aren't all of our deepest things that we suffer up here? Aren't they in here? you, You may have broken a leg or broken an arm or survived cancer. You may have gone through physical things, but the most painful things in the life of every human being are how we perceive them, remember them, and the emotional toll that they take on us. That's what absolutely crushes most people. Jesus took all that. Church. Jesus learned a lot when he was called to the cross. Why? Because he was called to be our priest and king. He was called to be our priest and our king, not just the high priest. Remember that promise of Isaiah 9 6? Oh, he's the child that's born, he's the son that's given and the government shall be on his shoulders, and of his kingdom there shall be no end, and he shall be called Prince of Peace and Mighty God. All at the same time, he's the Prince of your peace. He is that, because without his peace, you don't have peace with God the Father. Peace with God the Father comes only through Christ the Son. And without that peace, you don't have peace. You have war with God. But with him, you have a high priest forever that's making intercession for you that goes in every day and says, I got that, Father. I paid for that already. I already cleared Jeff's debt. But he also is your Lord. That's what that word means it means one who governs, he rules your life, he's the king of heaven and earth. No high priest could claim to be both, but Jesus can. He is the father of eternity. All those promises come from that one verse. He's still El Shaddai. He's mighty God. He didn't lose anything at the cross. He gained understanding of how badly you hurt and what you've been through. And so he sympathizes with every single aspect of who you are. And he went to the cross anyway. So when we say Jesus is our high priest, we ought to be getting really excited about that. Because he's the high priest forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen? All so that we could be God's children. If we don't have a high priest who's also the king, then we are not children of the king. We might even be kind of, sort of, okay with God, but we wouldn't be children of the king. The Jewish people were kind of, sort of, okay with God for a time, but they weren't children of the king. Our high priest forever has made us children of the king. Amen? Amen. Would you stand and we'll close in prayer. And I want to just ask you, if you've not received Christ, if you haven't become one of God's kids, if you haven't believed on the only name that can say you, save you, you need to do that because Jesus very specifically said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. If you haven't done that, if you've not invited Jesus into your life, then he is not your high priest and he's not your king. And that means you are lost. It means that if you were to die today, you would spend eternity separated from God. I don't want that for anybody in this room, or if you're watching online, or if you should happen to watch this later. And so if that's you today, and you want to square away where you're going to spend eternity, there is only one name under heaven whereby you must be saved, and that is the name Jesus. And it's simple. All you have to do is admit that you're a sinner, and you have to believe that he is the one and only Savior, that he died in your place on Calvary's cross, that God punished him in your place, God put him to death, buried him in the grave, and raised him three days later. You have to believe that in your heart. And then you have to confess that you're saying, I don't want to govern my own life anymore. Jesus, it's yours. If you'll do that, you'll be saved. If you've done that already, you should be going, Hallelujah, I'm going to heaven. Amen? It's not missed the reason for church. That's the reason that we gather. We are God's kids called by God's name through Christ the Son whom are redeemed and one day going to heaven. That's something to be excited about. If we ever change that mission, please don't go to this church. If we ever stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, go to some other church. If we stop teaching God's word, go to some other church because this church is about the one true king, who is also our high priest. Let's pray together. Father, I want to pray right now, if there's anyone here today that has not confessed you as Savior, that right now, in this moment, they would invite you, Jesus, into their life, and that they would be saved. Lord, that they would confess you as Savior, and Lord, you are the only way, the only truth, and only life. And no one comes to the Father but through you. And so, Lord, for those that need to make that decision right now, impress upon their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, would they receive you, Jesus, as both Savior and Lord. And for we who already have, God, we look forward to the day when we see you in heaven. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are our high priest forever. You're not ever going to abandon your post at the right hand of God the Father. You're not going to let a sin go by that what your blood doesn't cover it. And so we thank you for that continual atonement, that continual forgiveness, that continual ability that we have to walk in behind the veil and come into your presence daily because you, Jesus, died for us. We love you, we thank you, we bless you, and we praise you. And God's people all said...